All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing. Hope you're doing well this morning. I'm excited to be here to worship with you and to open up God's word together. So back in February of 2020, I was sitting in my office, and Eric comes in and he says, "Hey." Something about this, this virus kind of thing that might be coming to America. Not really sure what's going on with it. Maybe we should, uh, we should look at some live streaming equipment. And I said, Eric, you, you're crazy. We are never going to stop meeting together as a church. That's not going to happen. And, well, lo and behold, as we all know, that, that did happen. Eric was right, and don't tell him I said that. Um, but I figured out all the equipment we needed, and we went into a time of of isolation, where we were, you know, us and the team, we were at in, in the upstairs of our office, and it was, seemed like a cave to me. A um, couple guys just kind of standing on a stool in the office below, kind of weird, right? We went from seeing TV shows on our screen to our church on our screen, and, you know, we, I think we can all agree that was, that was pretty horrible. It was a really, really bad time for us, and I think what we found is that we are not meant to be alone. We're not meant to be alone when it comes to our lives, when it comes to our faith. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking a few of our core values here at New Life. And today we're going to be talking about biblical community. And what do we define that as? We define that as saying we are deeply committed to being an authentic community with other Christ followers and those in search of the truth. We seek to love, encourage, and serve one another sharing our lives as we participate together in the life and mission of the church. So to start out, I just want to read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul says to them, he says, We ought to give thanks to you, to God, for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So Paul is bragging about this church. He's, he's telling all these churches, this church is, is great. We're bragging about them. And it's not because of their, their doctrinal knowledge. It's not because of how many people are in the seats. It's not because of how many followers their pastor has. It's because... Their love for one another is increasing. Their faith is increasing through that love. And this love is seen in their steadfastness and faith amidst the trials that they face. So this morning, I want to ask every single one of you, are we helping our church in becoming like the church in the Thessalonians in this regard? Are we growing in love for one another? So if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down these three words. Sacrifice, service, and love. Sacrifice, service, and love. It's through sacrificially serving and loving one another that we will find that authentic, true, biblical community. Would you pray with me before we begin? Lord, I thank you for this morning and just the the opportunity and the privilege it is to open your word. God, I ask that you would... You would just speak through me, and it would not be my words, but your words. Help us to learn from your word that's convicting to us. Help us to grow in our faith and our love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you've got your Bible this morning, go ahead and open up to the book of Romans in chapter 12. 
So Paul wrote the book of Romans to a church that at the time it was made up of Gentile believers, it was made up of Jewish believers, and these Jews had just come back from being expelled from the city of Rome by the emperor. So these two groups were having a hard time getting along. And so the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is this rich, beautiful explanation of the gospel where, and most of it is what we as Christians would say that we believe. It's where we get a lot of our theology. So he says that all have sinned, that no one seeks after God, but now through faith in Jesus Christ, we have reconciliation to God and nothing can separate us from this love. So Paul uses these chapters as a springboard into application. So the first point that Paul makes here is sacrifice. He's saying, in light of the gospel, we are called to sacrifice. So starting in verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul is saying there, he's saying, therefore, by the mercies of God, in light of everything I've just told you, this is what you're supposed to do. It's that way of connecting the doctrine into our application. He's saying, because of what God has done, you are to do this. It can be so easy sometimes to gain all this sort of knowledge about the Bible, but if we never apply it to our lives, that's where the real danger comes in. So he starts by talking about a sacrifice. So in the Old Testament sacrificial system, in most of what the pagan religions would have had at the time, a living creature had to be killed in order to pay for sin. So this was a completely new idea of being this living sacrifice. Most sacrifices are dead. So Paul is telling them not to make a sacrifice, but rather to be the sacrifice. And the sacrifice is their spiritual worship. Spiritual, is the root of that is where we get the word logic in English. It's better rendered as maybe rational or reasonable. The worship in the Greek is also translated as service. So really, this is their logical response. In light of what God has done for you, this is the only real, rational, logical response we can have to the gospel, which is to give our entire being to God. Our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength everything to God. We cannot live then with apathy or indifference of the gospel if we've truly understood God's grace. Our response should be, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. So why then do we find it so difficult to offer this reasonable response to God? See, the answer is that we live in this fallen world that is doing everything it can to keep us from following God. Paul gives a solution in verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he talks about this world or this age, that following this world would involve taking the philosophies, the beliefs, everything that's going on in the world, and following that in this fallen world. God is saying, no, you must be conf- do not be conformed to this world. Our culture is constantly preaching that our individuality is the most important thing. It's saying, do whatever makes you happy. Live your truth. 
doing everything that we can to drive us into a world that's dictated by what our truth is, not what God's truth is. This world wants to eliminate objective truth in everything that we go through, whether it's our lifestyle, sexuality, morality, you name it. The church, then, is not even immune to these things. We see this prosperity gospel is pushing that God only wants you to be healthy and wealthy, like the world would say. Never mind the fact that the apostles were poor and killed. We see a progressive gospel that's degrading the word of God and it's only basing their theology on what you feel. So consider these statistics. In 2017, a poll found that 16% of self-identifying Christians had a biblical worldview. The markers of that were that they would believe that absolute moral truth exists, that the Bible is totally accurate, Satan is real, a person cannot earn their way to heaven by trying to be good or do good works, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, and God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe. That's a pretty basic tenet of our faith, all of those things. But 16% of self-identifying Christians agreed with those statements. In 2021, they took the same poll, and it was down to 9%. Large majorities of these self-identifying Christians, they also reported these beliefs that were not in harmony with biblical teaching. They said that 72% of these people agreed that people are basically good. 66% saying that it doesn't matter what faith you have, as long as you have faith, that's what matters. 58% people, of those people surveyed says that if a person is good enough, they can go to heaven. And that's not even taking into account the sanctity of life. 39% of adults in 2020 said that human life, all human life is sacred. In 2023, that drop number dropped to 29%. But you might say, oh, that's just, that's just adults in general, right? Can't be the same of Christians. In 2020, 60% of Christians surveyed said that all human life was sacred. And in 2023, that number dropped to 48%. That's a conforming to this world, not to God's world, not, not to God's word. The Bible says that Satan is the ruler of this world and his entire goal is to infiltrate every aspect of our lives, to conform us to his schemes. But we are to reject this. Paul says in Colossians 3.10 that we are to have to have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the creator, the image of its creator. So therefore, if we are in Christ, we are to come out of this world where, where there is evil of men everywhere that we see. We see the tearing down of God's design for the world. And we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the knowledge of Jesus Christ and God. The word there for transformed is metamorphosis, like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. The input that comes into it, is, is, the output will look completely different than the input when we are transformed. So what does Paul say is the result of this transformation? He says, says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the word in the Greek is dokimazo. It means testing. It means to put to the test or to prove. So if we were to take it a little more literally, it would say by, for proving by you what is the will of God. So our transformation, our renewed mind, it, what comes out of it, it will prove to those around us what God's will is, which is our sanctification. 
So when we're surrounded by the church, when we are here on Sunday mornings, we're in our life groups, we're in our D groups, we all learn from God's word together, and iron sharpens iron. A life of sacrifice, a renewed mind, and nonconformity to this world is seen when a person sacrifices their own pleasure and will and chooses to do the will of God. So you might be asking here, well, didn't you say this was a talk about biblical community? What does this have to do with that? It's because the gospel changes us. Our transformed minds, they change the way we think about those around us. We begin to put sacrifice into action. And we can't sacrifice to ourselves. I can't say, well, I'm, gonna, I'm going to you know, stop watching TV just, just for myself. It wouldn't really make sense. We sacrifice for others. There has to be someone else there to sacrifice for. So in light of the gospel, we're called to sacrifice. Then Paul builds on this into his second point. In light of the gospel, we are called to serve. Picking back up in verse 3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So in the first 11 chapters, Paul is addressing these two groups of God's family. He's saying, yes, the, the Gentiles, you're guilty of the law because you don't know it, but you Jews, you, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You are all thinking that you are better than the other for one reason or another. But we see that through the lens of the gospel, this status is irrelevant in light of God's mercy. God has completely leveled the playing field with his grace. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter your heritage. It doesn't matter how big your bank account is, how good-looking you might be. We are all sinners in need of God's grace. And we should look at each other in light of that. God, Paul says that there's a measure of faith that God has assigned to people. Those are, those are our gifts. Those are our talents, our abilities to service one another. We are to consider that with sober judgment, he says, or sensible understanding. We look at that role and we shouldn't think more highly of our gifts than we should. We should self-evaluate ourselves and make sure that we're utilizing the gifts that God has given us properly. So we are the church. We are one body. And it only functions if members of the body use their gifts as given to them by God. These gifts are used to meet the needs of the body and to build up the body to accomplish the mission of God. So Paul then goes on to describe a few of these gifts, and these aren't an exhaustive list of all of the spiritual gifts, but we don't have time to go through that today. But the gifts that he mentions here specifically, they are prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and acts of mercy. In verse 6 he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in, in proportion to our faith. I'm going to pause for a second and talk about prophecy. Now, first we see these gifts are all different. Not everybody has the same gift. But prophecy here isn't speaking about this supernatural ability to, to speak some new knowledge from God or, or even you know, a, a, a foretelling of, of something that's going to happen. 
If you spend any time in any kind of charismatic church, you might have seen that this is the case there, but, but that's not what Paul is saying here. There is no new revelation from God. What it really is, is speaking forth God's word to God's people for teaching and for building up of the body. So you might say that those who preach are prophets, but I'm not going to start calling him prophet to Toma. It's not, it's not going to happen. So moving on from there, verse 7 says, If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul is saying here, use your gifts. Every one of us, if it's teaching, if it's serving, if it's leading, if it's giving, Remind us of God's mercy with a smile. Don't wait around for someone to tell you, hey, maybe you should be using your gifts. Don't let your gifts just sit on a shelf collecting dust. He's telling us, use your gifts. Now, I'm going to brag on Noah here for a second. He knows what it is to serve. He understands it. He is here pretty much every single Sunday, both services, serving. I once scheduled him off on a Sunday, and he actually came up to me and said, please don't do that to me again. <laughs> he didn't know what to do with himself. He didn't, want to, he, he didn't feel content just coming and sitting and listening. No, he has a heart to serve. He plays, plays Cajon now. He's back on, in the media booth, and he's using his gifts to serve the church. So the bottom line here from Paul's move from sacrifice to serving is this. He says, do what God has gifted you to do. We don't just show up to worship on Sunday and just consume like it felt when we were all sitting on our couches. That's really how that felt. But we're supposed to sacrifice our likes, our dislikes, our preferences, our comfort, and our time for God and for the church. So in light of the gospel, we're called to sacrifice and we're called to serve. So third, in light of the gospel, we are called to love. So after this, Paul then starts to rattle off a whole bunch of these bullet points of what it truly means to love and sacrifice for others. We see that love is the core of that sacrifice. So in my Bible, the header in this section that reads, Marks of a True Christian. That's convicting. That's convicting. Jesus said in John 13, he said to his disciples, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, love is what defines the Christian. So does love define your life? Verse 9, he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Paul, in this section, he's anchoring the rest of these commands in one thing, and that is genuine love. The word there literally is without hypocrisy. Paul is commanding these, the people there to be without hypocrisy and showing us the love that God has for us. And that there can't be any kind of falseness to this love. In the Greek world, the word hypocrite, it was used of an actor who wore masks to portray the emotion of his character. You know, those ones that have like the really big smile and the really big frown. But as a genuine follower of Christ, we do not wear masks. 
Well, I mean, except for a couple years ago. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Please never again, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> right. So what you see, Christian, is what you get. And that is genuine love. We can't keep love and the rest of what follows separate. You can't sacrifice without love. You can't just show up and serve without love. It's love that holds it all together. Jesus said of his, to his disciples that no greater love, greater love that has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If we do anything else without love, as Paul says, we're like clanging gongs or cymbals. We love if we are Christians. Paul then immediately goes on to say, out of that love, all of these things follow. That you abhor what is evil and you cling to what is good. We are to take what's evil, what's, what's wrong in the world, and we are to, to push it as far away from poss- as possible and not be anywhere near it. You know, we can't hold a flame to us without thinking we're going to get burned. We have to push it as far away from, as, from us as possible and cling to what is good. By clinging to what is good, that's how we address the evil in this world. Cling to what is good, and that is only from God. So how do we show genuine love to others? Verse 10, he says, Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. We are to give this brotherly love to one another. It's kind of that same love that you would as, as a family, as siblings. Um, you know, we, we are the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And it says, outdo one another in showing honor. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to just keep one-upping each other just for the fun of it. It is that we are to sacrifice our own honor to, to elevate those around us with honor and to show others that love that we have for them. We sacrifice ourselves for other people. Verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I love how the King James Version actually translates this. It says, not slothful in busyness. So we should all be busy with the things of God. The kingdom of God cannot take a back seat in our lives. And that's, again, a sacrifice. So what do we fill our time with in life? We know that we have to work. We know we have to eat. We know we have to sleep. We have to take care of our families. We have to do all those things that we need to do but what are the things that we use as an excuse to not serve? Does anybody else in here get a screen time report every week on your phones? How many of you guys ignore it? How many cringe at the sight of it like I do? We have to put these commands into practice. It's very convicting for me. I've tried at times to just leave my phone on a shelf someplace in my house, and I need to get back to that. It was very helpful the few weeks that I did that. But that involves, we have to sacrifice, sometimes we have to sacrifice our hobbies. We have to sacrifice our entertainment. Maybe our kids' sports. If they're getting in the way of our call to love and serve one another. Can't use as an excuse. Verse 12, it says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. I love what Paul says in Romans 5. He says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. See, our circumstances should never quench our rejoicing in the Lord. That's why every week we begin with a biblical call to worship here. Because no matter how subjective we feel, no matter how great of a week we had, no matter how, how good of, how, how bad of a week we have, whatever that spectrum is, God calls us to worship him. He is good and he is worthy of our praise, no matter our circumstances. He is the one who calls us to worship him. And we also know that we're not guaranteed a life free of problems. Paul is telling them to to be steadfast in that tribulation, be patient and pray, be constant in that prayer. Verse 13, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And this isn't just for those with that gift of giving. It's a command for the entire church. Over the last six weeks, I've, we've, we've welcomed the new child into our family, our new son, Colson. And we were in the hospital for a few days with that. And then we went back to the hospital a couple weeks later because he was sick. Um, he's, he's great now. And we're so thankful for that. But we got to see sacrificial love pouring out of our church in, that, in those circumstances. We'll always be grateful for those who brought meals to my wife and I and our family throughout this time. Preparing a meal and delivering it, it's a sacrifice born out of love. And, I mean, Rachel drove all the way down to Nationwide Children's to bring us a meal. And how did she know that we needed that meal? It's because she's in a D group with my wife. They are in each other's lives with the rest of their group. They know what's going on in each other's lives. They know the trials they face, the positives that are going on, and they immediately helped. Our life group jumped in with a meal train, and they sent us meals every other day for, feels like, the last month. They sent us gift cards, physical meals, all that. A few people from outside, the, from outside of our life group brought those as well. See, both our D groups and our life groups, they knew what we were going through, and they responded in love and in sacrifice and in serving. So, okay, that's easy, right, when it's our friends. It's easy when they love us back, right? It's all we're supposed to do, right? We're just going to end there. Not what Paul says. Verse 14, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And if this isn't sacrificial love, I, I don't know what is. So at the time, the church, they were under this persecution from the government. Uh, As you can read about in chapter 13, in chapters 14 and 15, Paul is talking about just strife within the church, that they're they're having family quarrels and strife within them. So either way, he says, this is what genuine love is, that you do not curse them, but you bless them, those who persecute you. Luke 23 tells us that when Jesus was being sacrificed, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Oh, that's just Jesus, though. Perfect. You know, clearly, he knows what he's doing. Can't be the same for us sinful mortals, right? In Acts 7, we read that as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, Do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. When we're persecuted, we sacrificially love in return. 
Verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, I, I unfortunately, I live in an unequally yoked marriage. Not like that. Not like that. Trust me. I am, as most of you probably know, I'm a diehard, lifelong Cleveland Browns fan. And my wife, she's a Cincinnati Bengals fan. It could be worse. She could be a Steelers fan. She could be a Michigan fan. Definitely could be worse. But am I able to rejoice with her when the Bengals beat the Browns? Can I rejoice with Mike when the Steelers inevitably beat the Browns? <laughs> Happens all the time. If we're up for a promotion at work and someone else gets it, or it's an award and someone else gets it, can we rejoice with them and set aside the loss that we feel? In the body of Christ, it says when one person rejoices, we all rejoice. We all rejoice. This is, at times, can be sacrificial but that's genuine love. It also says not only to rejoice with those who rejoice, but to weep with those who weep. And this has been truly on our hearts the last couple of weeks. We've lost two of our brothers, Bob and Rick, from this world, and we rejoice that they are worshiping with Jesus now. But for us and their loved ones left behind, there has been much weeping. In John 11, we're told that Jesus wept when he was with Mary and Martha and they were mourning the loss of Lazarus, they, he knew what he was going to do when he came to them. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew it was going to be a joyous occasion afterwards. But he saw his friends weeping. And so he wept with them. We all need to remember his example and do likewise. We rejoice and weep with those who rejoice and weep. Verse 16, it says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. So this isn't just a living in harmony with our, our life group or our little our group of friends within the church. This is everybody within the church, including those who we have disagreements with. Paul says, he does, says do not be haughty, as in do not look to just climb the ladder and esteem yourself. He says, we are to associate with the humble things that are needed within the church. And this work of ministry, the work of ministry in general, it isn't just from the pulpit or the platform. It is in just the mundane that we go through in life. We have this amazing group of brothers and sisters here. They come in every week to clean this building and scrub the toilets. We have people in kids' ministry that are changing dirty diapers. These we cannot look past those and say, those are beneath me. No. We should be willing, all of us, to do those things. When we were at the Basics Conference this past week, one of the speakers, he told his story about how he came out of seminary and he, he was ready. He's like, I'm going to be you know, a senior pastor at this church. And he put out his resumes to all these churches and heard from no one. And he said, well, God, maybe I'll be an associate pastor. You know, if you can give me that role and Nothing. And he said, God, I'll even be a youth pastor, if that's what it takes. <laughs> no, nothing happened. He got a call from a church, and they said to him, we want you to be our janitor. And he said, yes, I will do it. That was just the, the beginning of his role in ministry, but he saw in, that, in his own life, I need to be humble 
and be willing to do whatever is needed of me to further the kingdom of God. Everyone is on equal footing with God. Says to also be never be wise in your own sight. This is one I would say I have struggled with in my life. I had a friend of mine that once said to me, you know, Trevor, you know you don't have to have an opinion about everything, right? (laughs) And to this day, I still probably have an opinion about everything. (laughs) But that's something that's been very convicting for me. You know, we humans, we love to express our opinions. Every one of us has something that we're very opinionated about, and we want people to know what we think of this. We have a 24-hour news cycle that is just constantly people just bickering with each other about their, about their opinions about things. I'll turn on ESPN thinking, oh, I'll see what's going on in the world of the NFL, and it's just two guys just yelling at each other, saying they're better than the other because they think this way. That's entertainment? Yay. We love to see that, but God is saying, no, do not be wise in your own sight. Our wisdom only comes from the word of God. Moving on, verse 17, he says, Repay no, no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And this, it's an intentional day-by-day act of obedience to God. We sacrifice, we sacrifice our desire for payback because we know that the world is watching, is waiting for us to slip up. Monty Williams, he's the coach of the Phoenix Suns, in the NBA, he put this into practice when his wife was killed by a drunk driver back in 2016. The tragedy also claimed the life of the other driver as well. His kids were in the car. They ended up being fine, but they were, they were injured too. So at, at his wife's funeral and his eulogy, he said these words. He said, everyone is praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will toward that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we do not have a heart of forgiveness. by, By human standards, he had every right for vengeance or to try to get even. But through his faith, he showed his love and honor the other family, to the other driver who claimed his wife's life. Paul knew in this, in this statement that the world is watching us. We see it all the time that phone cameras are only picking up the worst in humanity, typically. Every negative reaction is always caught on camera, blasted to social media, put on Twitter for all to see, and then everybody bickers about it, about what their opinion is. But we have to sacrifice ourselves for the honor of Christ. Verse 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We we love by living at peace with everyone. We know that this world is hostile to Christ, but the evidence of Christ in us is that we are not the cause of the problem. We are not the cause of the strife. We live at peace with all. Finishing out verse 19, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it doesn't have to be just persecution. It can be any wrong that we feel has done been done to us. And our first inclination is always going to be to get even. It says, don't get mad, get even. But the Christian does not get even. God's job is vengeance. He will repay. Our job is to overcome evil with good. And it's because of Jesus' victory over death on the cross that we have the hope that every wrong will be made right in the end. God has promised us this, and that is our hope. So in all these things about love and sacrifice and serving, just think about these showings of love. So I was listening to a sermon by a pastor named Anthony Wood. He was preaching on 1 Corinthians 13, the love is patient, love is kind, et cetera, et cetera. You've all heard it before. And he told his church, he said, to insert your name into those phrases and evaluate yourself to see if you're truly doing that. Is, is Trevor patient? Is Trevor kind? It really got me thinking. And I believe that the same principle applies here to these statements. Does, does Trevor hold fast to what is good? Does Trevor abhor evil? Does Greg outdo others in showing honor? Does Carl get even? Does Ryan live at peace and harmony with one another? Is Mike haughty or does Mike associate with the lowly? Does Trevor serve the Lord? So the truth of the gospel, friends, is that in our own strength, apart from God, we are going to utterly fail at every one of these things. There's only been one man who has ever kept all of these commands perfectly, and that is the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. He was a perfect man who climbed that hill, was nailed to the tree in order to pay the price for our sins, the perfect sacrifice for us imperfect sinners. He made the ultimate self-sacrifice in perfect love for us, for the Father. God raised him from the dead and he, spent, he sent his spirit to dwell within us. And that is how we're able to do these things, is by our growing in our love and sanctification. Sanctification is just to be more like Christ and the spirit does that in our lives. So friends, we need to be continually growing in our likeness of Christ. The world gets even. The world is hypocritical in their love. The world is selfish. The world is lazy. But not us, Christians. Not us. We are not conformed to this world, but we are transformed by the power of the gospel, transformed to be more like Christ. So now we're three years after the pandemic, and the statistics are showing that one in five churchgoers, they only attend online. Churches are reporting that they are only back to 85% of their pre-pandemic church attendance. And if we're to reflect on everything that Paul has taught us, you know, that God has said through his word in Romans 12 about sacrifice, about using our gifts, practically and genuinely showing our love for one another, we notice we very, very, very quickly that those involve being around other people. See, we cannot serve and use our gifts if we're not around people. 
We can't love one another with genuine brotherly affection, contribute to the needs of others, show hospitality, if we only show up half the time. We cannot rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep if we are barely involved in our church family. And for those who are watching online regularly, and you have the physical ability and means to get here in person, then do it. Be here. We need you, and you need the body. It all works together for the glory of God. So if we have been truly changed by the mercy of God, if we truly understand that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, he was raised according with the Scriptures, then our lives should reflect this by the sacrifice of our lives, our preferences, our gifts, our talents, our time, our money for God and for the church and those around us. This is what being truly changed by the gospel is all about. Like the church in Thessalonica, we must be increasing in our love for one another. So friends, what do we need to do in our lives to make that a reality? Do we need to be more willing to sacrifice for others? Where are we prone to be unwilling to sacrifice? What are we unwilling to sacrifice? Are we using our gifts to serve the body of Christ? Are we even showing up? If not, what what steps do you need to take to do these things? We have a way here at New Life that can help. And that's called the discipleship pathway. Are you consistently attending worship on Sunday mornings? If not, do it. Are you plugged into a life group? Are you in a D group? Are you serving? If not, find one of the elders this morning. Go talk to Steph in the hallway. Talk to me. We will have the joy of getting you plugged in somewhere and using your gifts. Having a community of believers in your life, it will help to apply the text of the word, this text especially, as we increase in love for one another. So church, we are called to sacrifice, to serve, and to love one another in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When all of us together are sacrificially serving and loving each other, it's when we see true, authentic, biblical community here at New Life Bow your heads heads and pray with me. Our ever-merciful and compassionate God, we thank you for your word that's convicting to our souls and that pierces our hearts. Lord, forgive our forgetfulness of your grace to us. We confess that from time to time we have demanded of others a standard that we have failed to meet ourselves. We have related to others in terms of measuring up to this standard rather than as fellow debtors of Christ. We have forgotten how much we need you or thought of ourselves as worthy of your favor. And so we have demeaned others in thought, word, and deed. So God, show us again the depth and breadth of your marvelous work on our behalf that we may evermore all the days of our lives express an ever-increasing understanding of your gospel in our serving and in our relationships to you and others. It's through the power of your spirit at work with us that we pray in your son's name. Amen.